hello and welcome in. We really appreciate you joining us for this first Tuesday edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. It's February 7th, and after a brief reprieve from our Sunbelt in review series for last Friday's Senior Bowl preview with Jim Nagy, we're down to the final two episodes of the Sunbelt in review series. Caden, I know we've heard from some of our listeners that this has been their favorite series to date, and I must admit, it's been mine too. Definitely know. When we get into the season content, we obviously love watching these teams play every Saturday, watching them compete against each other. But the offseason storylines that we've been able to learn from the people that are on the ground week in and week out with the program has just been so educational for us. I feel like going into this next season, we'll know a little bit more about every single program that we touched in this interview. And I just can't thank really the people enough that have been willing to give us their time to talk to us about every single program that we've gotten to talk about through this series. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Caden, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is there one of these preview episodes that you've liked the most or maybe team that you've liked kind of getting to know a little bit better that maybe really early on you're high on going into next year? Everyone knows I'm a little bit biased to App State, so it was really great talking to Molly. And I think from just the people I know and just the people who I've known who have listened to that episode, you can think you know as much as you do about a program. And I think no one would know as much about the App State program as me and some of our other teammates and some people who are still very closely involved. Yet you talk to someone like Molly and she gives insight and you learn even more about a program you thought a lot about. So I think that was a cool thing to me. And on the flip side of that, and we'll get ahead to it, even the Texas State episode with Kef, I think we learned so much and I can't wait for the people to hear that just because... Every year, every team has kind of, there's the top dogs and there's the teams in the bottom that are still calling and reaching for the top. And obviously we have had a lot of people been very optimistic about these teams heading into the year, but just hearing the coaching changes in the culture and someone who had an inside scoop on what may be a, a comeback year or turnaround year heading forward, just those optimistic storylines and hearing how things are going in the building, how different little storylines, like keeping people in the transfer portal, different quarterback position play and different things like that. I feel like a Texas state kind of stands out to me as well. And even a Louisiana, just those kind of couple of teams that have had years that were a little bit underwhelming, but I believe, and I'm buying a little bit more into the optimism heading into this season, just based on what we've heard from the people that had their inside scoop there. I'm really glad you said Louisiana at the end of that, because that's was the team that I've enjoyed kind of learning about the most. I mean, I think they had one of the more interesting seasons this year, obviously, Everyone who listens to this pod knows that I picked them to win the West uh, this year, and that didn't come through. But it was really interesting talking with Kevin, learning a little bit more about that Raging Cajuns team. And I think they're a team that perhaps could surprise and maybe make that a two, three-headed you know, race in the West next season. Well, on our latest episode, this is episode 64, we're going to be focusing on the 2022 campaigns for the Arkansas State Red Wolves, who finished 3-9 and nine and just 1-7. and seven. In Sunbelt West play, we're also going to talk about Texas State, a team that goes 4-8 and eight on the year, but a disappointing 0-6 on the road. Uh, we hope that you've been able to catch the last couple episodes in our Sunbelt In Review series. Last Monday, we caught up with Ben Moore, who covers Georgia State for 24-7 sports. And then on Wednesday, that episode I was talking about with Louisiana that I would definitely advise you to go listen to. We talked with Kevin Foote, who covers them for The Advocate. If you missed either of those episodes, don't worry. You can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You're definitely not going to want to miss out on those episodes. Well, today we're just one episode. We have just one episode remaining after today in our Sunbelt in Review series. And on today's episode, Caden, we're going to focus our attention on the 2022 seasons for Arkansas State, who disappointed in that second year under Butch Jones, and then Texas State, who despite a strong home showing, they were really unable to win some crucial games on the road. Yeah, two teams that are kind of in similar positions as far as records. But then when you hear these interviews and you talk about it, they're kind of in also very different situations as far as their outlook, what they have going on. So very good just to listen to these people talk about teams that are a little bit less talked about in the conference and learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, first up on this episode, Caden, we're excited to welcome Kara Ritchie, who covers Arkansas State for 96.9 The Ticket and serves as the A-State sideline reporter during the season. She brought a lot of interesting insight to this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. She's going to join us to dissect their disappointing season. Caden, give our listeners just a little bit of a preview about what Kara had to say on this episode. Like you said, like any other people that we talked to in this episode, Kara knows this program like the back of her hand. She did a great job giving us an inside scoop on what the past of this program has looked like and how it's going to reflect the future. She has a lot of faith in Butch Jones and the program and some of the transfer portal acquisitions they've gotten. So super excited for the people to hear about our interview with the one and only Kara Ritchie. We're really excited to have Kara Ritchie on the podcast who covers Arkansas State on the regular. Kara, thanks for joining us. 
Hey, appreciate the invite and excited to talk to May State today. Well, let's jump right in. Obviously, this was not the season that this team wanted. They improved their record by just one win. They go three and seven, but there was a really rough five-game losing stretch in the middle of this year. There was also several close losses to that ULM squad and Texas State sprinkled in. What were your overall assessments just to this Red Wolves team this season? I think that 2022 was was an improvement over 2021, which was year one of the Butch Jones era. So we did see some things that were better this year, specifically in regards to the defense. But at the end of the day, you know, one a one win improvement is certainly not what this fan base wanted. It's not what I expected to see at the beginning of the year. And A-State ran into some significant depth problems throughout this season that really kind of hampered them, particularly on offense. And uh, just made it to where this team was not able to be as successful as as it wanted to be, as it needed to be. And so obviously, look, three wins, that it was a disappointing year. And I think there's hope that uh, 2023 will be better. It, it has to be better. And Kara, you mentioned Butch Jones there. He now enters his third year in this program, has a ton of reputable experience at places and success at places like Tennessee and Cincinnati. We haven't seen that quite translate yet in Jonesboro, but Could you tell us just about him as a leader in this program and what direction you think it's going with him at the helm? Sure. I I personally like Butch Jones. Obviously, you know, I'm I'm not a player. I don't play for him. Uh, He's good to the media. Uh, He's he's kind to us. He is, um, you know, a little bit coach speaky, but uh, that's kind of the way it's going to be for about 90% of of FBS coaches at this point in time. Uh, His players seem to respect him. Uh, there is some some good amount of of love there. He is very meticulous and uh, has a good attention to detail, and has brought in some different um, focuses than maybe a state had under under previous coaches and things like that in terms of attention to detail, in terms of uh, recruiting specifically, which is, in my opinion, his his strength uh, above anything else. But but you know we are still waiting to see those wins manifest, like he was able to do um, at. Tennessee at his previous stops. They haven't shown up yet. So I uh, still kind of waiting on that to see if all of the the talk is able to materialize on the field. Now, Kara, you know, one of the players that kind of was a lightning rod uh, at times this year for criticism had a, had a decent year, but James Blackman has kind of been that steady quarterback for this team for the past two years. Uh, I've always thought he was reliable, but uh, you know, he couldn't just put this team over the top at times. He's now leaving and declaring for the NFL draft. What do you expect this quarterback position to look like next season at Arkansas State? That's a great question. Uh, so obviously, you know, James Blackman, out of out of eligibility, he had um, a solid but not spectacular two years at Arkansas State. Part of that due to uh, a little bit of um, depth issues on the, the offensive line. He was not protected very well during his time as a rebel. But you look ahead to 2023, Arkansas State announced a – transfer quarterback in its December signing day, you know, press conference and news release and all of that good stuff. Well, that guy's at Troy. So that is clearly not happening there. So right now, Arkansas State has three quarterbacks in its QB room. And out of those three QBs, they have a combined 10 collegiate pass attempts. And that's it. So you've got a redshirt freshman, a true freshman and a walk on true freshman in that room right now. So there's there's some great talent there. There's some great potential there. Uh, with Jackson Daly, who is the one returner. Uh, there's some great potential with Jalen Rayner, who is a high school signee. He's actually an early enrollee, so he's already on campus. He's going through spring camp, so that gives him a huge head start there. He was a dual threat guy from uh, a high school in North Carolina, and I know they're super excited about him, but, but I mean, 10 collegiate attempts out of three guys is, is not enough. You've got to have some more depth there. You've got to have some kind of experience in that room, somebody leading. I know they are still working the portal. Um, There's still a number of of quarterbacks in the portal. In fact, we're going to see, and and we've still got another round of the portal window that will open in May. Uh, So they will continue to to look for help there. But right now it's just, uh, if you want to know who is starting at QB, Game one for 2023. I mean, you you guys tell me. You let me know. I'm I'm dying to hear it. Well, it sounds like that that quarterback might not even necessarily be on the roster. You know, you mentioned maybe looking in the portal. Is this a situation where you think the coaching staff would love to bring in maybe one, two guys to kind of supplant some of that general youth and give those guys an ability to kind of mature? Oh, absolutely. And and they thought they already did. Again, uh, they had a guy that was, um, you know. The signing process for a transfer is is not the same as the, tr- the signing process for, for a high school guy. As you guys know, there is no um, NLI the second time around. 
So it's just kind of a, a handshake agreement until everybody gets on campus and they sign the grant and aid package and things like that. So, so guys can leave pretty much at any time after an initial transfer commitment. So clearly they want somebody else in there because they had somebody else in there and it just, um, it just did not completely work out. So they're going to continue to to look in the portal and, and try and, and address that. I mean, I, ideally two guys, uh, but definitely one that you bring in to, to help with that room. And staying on the transfer portal a little bit, and you talked about Butch Jones's recruiting prowess that he's had. It's been a big transfer, transfer portal offseason for Arkansas State. You lose some key pieces like a Seydoux Cedu Triore, but also you gain a ton of Power 5 talent. You have star receiver Corey Rucker coming back to the school, which I think is probably something we haven't even seen yet in the transfer portal return back to a school. But you pair that with a number one ranked recruiting class in the Sun Belt. What's your excitement level about this incoming new talent? Well, the excitement level for me really kind of hinges on the offensive line. Um, A-State, when things kind of started going going south for A-State last year, it's because there was uh, an offensive lineman that got hurt uh, at right tackle in, in game three, suffered a season-ending ACL injury. About that time, uh, you also had a, a left tackle that broke his foot, played through it for the rest of the year, a right guard with a cracked shoulder. So you did not have, you just did not have the depth and the health of the offensive line that you needed. Uh, so one of the things they've gone out and addressed with the portal is is the offensive line, both um, starting potential and depth. Brought in an FCS center uh, that had started every single game since he was on campus at Lamar and Jacob Bayer that's going to come in and, and compete for uh, that starting center position. Brought in not one, not two, but three Ole Miss offensive line transfers uh, that are going to be able to help out both with starting and with depth there. Brought in, um, I'm going blank, I feel like there's one, at, at least one other on the offensive line Um maybe that I might be overlooking. Sometimes it starts to all blur together a little bit in your head. And then, of course, there's some high school commits on offensive line. You already had some talent in that room to begin with. So uh, so that's what I'm excited about. You know, those guys don't necessarily have the stats that we can look at and, and geek out over, but but that is the area where A-State needed significant, significant help and, and competitive depth, and they went out and addressed that with, with this transfer portal class. It was really interesting. We spoke with uh, Louisiana or Kevin Foote, who covers Louisiana, and he mentioned the same thing, that oftentimes we in the media, we look at the big stats for the quarterbacks in the run game and say, hey, they're disappointing without realizing that there's key injuries or depth issues on that offensive line. So I think that's a really interesting point for Arkansas State. Uh, Kara, one of the biggest things that I noticed on Twitter throughout the season at times was uh, you know, fan uproar over some of the decisions that were being made, even at the end of the year, there was a lack of fan support, I think, at times for this A-State team. Uh, in your mind, what needs to happen with this program to get that passionate fan base back on board with the direction uh, moving forward? I mean, the the basic answer is just win. But, you know, this is a, a fan base that got really spoiled in the early 2010s because, um, of course, if, if you guys remember, that was a, a period of great change at Arkansas State where A-State had five different head coaches in five years. But from 2011 up until 2019, this was a program that went bowling every single year. So you had that fun trip for the players and the coaches and, of course, for the fans. So uh, as a fan base, we got very accustomed to that. It was a blast. Go to Mobile, go to Montgomery, go, go somewhere else and, and be able to take part in that. And now, now you've got a, a program that has won eight games in the last three years combined. So you've got a lot of frustration. You know that as a program, there can be success. You have the, the support for it. You have the facilities for it. You have guys that can go out and recruit for it. And you have a fan base that will support it. But again, it hasn't been here. Um, you also run into kind of going on at the same time. Uh, the, the basketball programs are not having a lot of success right now. Baseball uh, has not had a lot of success over the, the past few years. So when you've got the big four sports and, of course, football that drives the bus all going through a downturn at the same time, it it has a tendency to lead to some pretty significant and understandable frustration from the fan base. Well, well that stadium in Arkansas State is one of my favorites to play in, so I couldn't imagine if the fan base was surrounding that program and really packing out the house. It, no, it would be a great game day environment. But last question for you. It's been our favorite question of this series. I think I could speak for Noah on that. We've talked about this team's past struggles. You talked about their promising future, considering the recent release of that schedule with their road and home opponents. Pull out your crystal ball. What are your expectations? What do you think the record's going to be for this next season for Arkansas State? Well, one that that depends on a question that we've went over with with the quarterback. Uh, that uh, you bring in somebody that has a lot of experience there, then then yes, put me on the uh, put me into the camp that says a state can go bowling and, and get six wins out of this schedule. Um, if that is a, a question still going into, 
the season that I don't know if I'm as optimistic. And then part of it also depends on exactly how the schedule is is laid out. And what I mean by that is, is say you do have a young quarterback that has to come in and start, and it's somebody that doesn't have much experience. If you have, you know, all of, all of, if it's kind of front loaded, is, is the guy going to be able to have time to mature before he's going out there and getting walloped or how does that play out? And I saw, and I'm sorry, cause I know it sounds like I'm dodging the question, but with so many, so many things that are unanswered, uh, I just, it makes me nervous to make a bold prediction, but I'll be optimistic and say that a state gets back to, to a bowl game this year uh, based on the schedule and, and based on what we already know about the team. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I mean, and obviously, based on your answer to the fan support question, I think, Carrie, you would say that if that happened, that would go a long way in kind of getting these fans back behind Butch Jones. Absolutely, it would. Um, there, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, you go to a bowl game because bowl games are, are I get that, you know, 80 teams go bowling. It is it is not necessarily the highest of bars when you've got that much uh, that high of a percentage of FBS teams that are going, but but it feels like a celebration. You celebrate the hard work that the student athletes put in. You give yourself a pat on the back for being an awesome fan that's willing to travel and support your team. You get to hang out and and have you know fun, happy hours with your fellow fans and and things like that. And so you know when you when you've got that as kind of the last thing to tide you over through an entire off season, it just kind of it raises everybody's spirits. Well, Kara, definitely appreciate your time and kind of unique insight into this program. Obviously, it's a program that didn't have a great year this year, but certainly could have good things coming in the future. So certainly we appreciate your time and look forward to uh, staying in touch throughout the offseason. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invite. Enjoy the conversation. Always fun talking with Kara and Caden. She did not disappoint. It was a short, sweet interview, but she gave us a lot of great information. And we even had a little bit more of a conversation with her off of the podcast. And a lot of that conversation revolved around Butch Jones. There was a a large contingent of this Arkansas State fan base that wanted him out at the end of the year after a second straight disappointing season. Caden, you brought up the pedigree that he brings to this program in that interview, but so far he's disappointed. I thought it was interesting, and the more you start to think about it, a lot of these group of five teams, they're almost not able to, they don't have that go-away money when a coach hasn't you know, met expectations, and that's kind of where Butch Jones is at right now. He needs a big third year in Jonesboro. He does, and he's proven he can do it, and we talked about the pedigree that he had at Cincinnati, out of Tennessee, proving that he can turn a program around, produce nine win seasons and play at a high level as far as leading a team. But I think that's the interesting part, talking to Kara off camera about it. I think that when you look on the outside and you look at a team's record, you look at how they underperform and it's very easy to ask for someone to get fired, to put them on the hot seat. But then you talk to the people who are inside the program and it sounds like there's still a lot of believers in his process. It sounds like the coach, the players love him. The coaching staff around him has a good support system despite the record, which I think is honestly more of a promising sign. If you look across the country, we've seen people on the hot seat, players standing on the chair for him, standing on the table saying, no, we want this guy. We believe in this guy. And I think you might not have seen that at Arkansas State, but it sounds like there's a lot of that DNA and a lot of that trust in Butch moving forward. So very exciting to see what they do moving forward, especially looking at the recruiting class and maybe them having some other guys be able to step up this season. Kate, it's definitely important to remember that Twitter is not a real place. And we saw numerous calls on Twitter for Butch Jones's job. But again, you talk to people inside the program, as you mentioned, they like what he's doing. They think you know, he's a very good recruiter. He's proven that with the number one class in the Sun Belt this year. So let's give him some time. Let's see if he can turn this program around and get it back to where it was in the mid-2000s. Caden, one of the big things that they're going to need to get better at this year is quarterback. They they lose James Blackman uh, after he's played there the last 10 years. And on the roster right now, Kara talked about it, there's three quarterbacks and they have a combined 10 total passes in their career. You have to imagine they're portal shopping at this point and I don't think they need just one guy. I think they probably need to bring two guys in. Definitely. And it's obviously the most important position in the game. And it's a lot of their success this year is going to hinge on that quarterback position. I think that's why Carroll was a little bit hesitant to make a bold take about this season and this team this year, just because there's so much uncertainty at that position. And it's so important. But you're right. They're going to have to get two or maybe even three guys from the portal just because even if it's not someone that's competing for the starting job, someone that has more experience than what you have right now in your room that can push the guys, help them develop more and grow a little bit more and know what it takes a little bit more 
versus someone who doesn't have that much experience will be big for this team. So I think when you look at them in the transfer portal, they're going to have to find a good combination of experience and talent and kind of have to balance that out. So hopefully they can get that between one or two guys because you're not always going to find that in just one person. Caden, we're about to get to our end of year awards, and I'm not going to give away our picks just yet, but one guy that I can tell you will be on there is Johnny Lang, and from everything you and I have seen, he's coming back, and that's huge for Arkansas State. He's a guy that it would not have surprised me if he had tried to move on to greener pastures. He had a big year, but you have to imagine if Arkansas State wants to take a leap forward, he needs to have another good year and maybe even a better year than he had this year. It's interesting when you talk about Johnny Lang because he was the do-it-all guy for this team. He was a menace in the return game, a great guy in the running game, and in the passing game. He had to do all of that. Ideally, we look at this Arkansas State team next year. Hopefully, he doesn't have to do as much because they have better talent weapons around and maybe a quarterback that can take some of the load off of their running game. So going to be very interesting to see how he evolves this year. And I think him coming back is a really promising sign. I think we talked about it a little bit. Wide receiver Corey Rucker comes back to the team. Now, he was one of their better players years ago, decides to leave, and now is coming back. So I think it's a good sign that you have a player like that coming back to the program that kind of used to be in that Johnny Lang role as the questioned best guy on the team. Now Johnny Lang's coming back. Maybe a sign of a shifting the tide as far as culture, people leaving and staying. But I think him staying is a huge sign, and then the year he has next year is definitely going to be huge for this team. Caden, it's no doubt that one of the biggest storylines heading into the offseason is their defense has to improve at Arkansas State. And I wanted to give you a chance, just a quick comment on some areas that you think they could get better at as we look ahead to next year. It seems like every time we talk about these preview episodes, every other episode, we're talking about a great running back, a great offensive line, a unit that can play downhill and play fast and play well. And I think Arkansas State really, really, really struggled in that department this year. They're going to have to bolster up front, have to play more gap sound and really just kind of pinned down a little bit more in that run game. They showed a lot of weakness in that area in the pass game. It kind of sets you up for failure when you have secondary players that have to worry about the run and the pass. So I think if they can take care of that front seven a little bit better, I think it'll be infectious and maybe translate to some play in the secondary, but talk to Bob and they can use a lot of improvement. Their scheme had some questions this year. And I think just their roster has never lacked in talent. Anytime when I was playing as a very, very young player against Arkansas State, one of my least favorite teams to play special teams against because they always had athletes. They have the athletes out there and they have the talent out there. It's just about can you put them in the position where they know what they're doing every play. They're locked in and they can play just great football. We saw some good games down the stretch and I think it's no secret that they played their best defense against some of the worst offenses this year. But hopefully next year they can do that at the highest level against some of the better teams in the league. Yeah, we will certainly see, and that has to be an improved area of this football team if they want to get out of the cellar in that Sunbelt West division. Well, Caden, uh, for those listeners who this is their first episode on these in-review episodes, we've been handing out some end-of-the-year awards. The only rule is that you can only win one award, uh, and so that kind of narrows it in a little bit. Uh, Caden, I'm going to let you get started with freshman MVP. I knew we had some problems picking this at first, and then one guy just dawned on us, and we're like, how did we miss this guy? Because arguably, he could have been the team MVP this year. He definitely could have. And you look at what this team had at the offensive part of their game and their lack of being able to score. This guy came through big for them anytime they got into field goal range. And that's why our freshman MVP is the freshman, Donovan Savada. I mean, he had a fantastic year kicking the ball. He was a first-team all-conference player at the kicker position. So you could argue that he was the best kicker in the Samba, but made 17 of his 18 field goals, 16 from 16 inside of 50 yards, and only missed one extra point. Gotta love what he did this year for the team and him coming back again will be a huge sign just because if their offense can improve just a little bit and they have to rely on him a little bit less similar like we were talking about with Johnny Lang, sky's the limit for him. Yeah, big year for Zavada. Kane, I'll move on. Defensive MVP, Kavon Bennett is going to be my pick for defensive MVP for Arkansas State. There was a couple of other guys in this conversation, but you know me, I love a great game-wrecking linebacker, and that's who he was this year. 50 tackles, 9.5 TFLs, 5.5 sacks. He was able to get penetration, get into the backfield. He was a menace for opposing teams' quarterbacks. And then, you know, Caden, I know you'll appreciate this. He wasn't bad in coverage as well, had a couple of pass breakups, got to the quarterback some more, and then really did a nice job of forcing some turnovers from opposing teams. So Kevon Bennett is going to be my defensive MVP for Arkansas State. Definitely well-deserved. I think if you look at this defense, not a lot of people stood out a ton throughout the year, but he was one that stood out consistently. And I think when you look at the games that they did win, he had a huge part in that playing sideline to sideline, 
getting people on the ground, playing well in coverage as well, like you mentioned. So definitely well-deserved for the defensive MVP. And I think the offensive MVP is also very well-deserved when you look at tight end Sadu Traore. He had a fantastic year. It's not very common that you see a tight end lead the team in catches. He had 50 catches this year, 655 yards, four touchdown passes. Another first-team all-sunball guy, which this team did not have a lot of, but he definitely stood out this year as far as that position. And unfortunately, he did transfer. We'll be seeing him playing for Colorado next year with Deion Sanders. So it's unfortunate that we don't get to see him play in the Sun Bowl, but very interested to see what he does with Coach Prime in Colorado. Yeah, and playing with Shador, his son, that could be uh, that could be fun out in out in Boulder. Well, Caden, team MVP, we've already talked about him on this episode. Johnny Lang, he was the standout running back, and he was also one of the best, maybe the best returner in the Sun Belt on special teams. Also did a nice job of catching the ball out of the backfield. 419 yards rushing, three touchdowns. I'm just getting started. And then catching the ball, 24 catches, 238 yards, and three more touchdowns. Okay, and this is where things got really interesting uh, for Johnny Lang. Almost 24 yards poor return on kickoffs this year was second best in the Sun Belt. He was one of three guys this year with a kickoff return touchdown. He truly was one of those game changers, and he's a piece looking ahead, Caden, that this team can really build around. Now, this is someone I've had to play before, and I think when you have someone that you have to worry about in your special teams meeting and then you go into defense and you have to worry about him, if you're a linebacker, if you're having to tackle him, if you're in the pass game, you have to worry about covering him. He's just an absolute headache, and he was just a huge contributor for this team, and it's very safe to say that some of those losses they could have had that were a little lopsided would have been a lot more lopsided without Johnny playing at the level he was. So very interested to see what his role is next year. If he has another big year like this, I'm afraid that the team might not have that success, so hopefully I'll have some other support and help on the offensive side of the ball heading into next season. Well, Caden, this is the part of the episode where normally we'd be rolling out, we'd be ending this episode, but we've got a bonus guest on this episode. We're going to still talk about Texas State. So next up, we're going to have Kev Chardello, who covers Texas State for the Austin Statement, join us. He's been around this Bobcats program uh, since 2008. Caden, there was a lot of great info in this interview from Kev. It definitely was. He definitely made me a little bit of a believer in this program. I think he's a little bit cautiously optimistic about their outlook next season, but I think it's clear that he believes in some of the Aiden State talent that this team's bringing in. He believes in their new head coach, and I can't wait for other people to hear it. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Kef Chardello. Really excited to have Kef Chardello on the podcast. He's been covering Texas State since 2008. Kef, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate y'all having me on talking about some Bobcats. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like we've done with every one of our guests, we're just going to jump right into this. And Texas State had a very interesting season, Kef. They beat App State in early October, and then they had that last second loss to UL, or rather Southern Miss. And then not to mention, they had fourth quarter leads against ULM and Troy. They finished four and eight. What were some of your just overall impressions of the 2022 season for the Texas State Bobcats? Well, you, you just mapped it out there at the end when talking about those losses. That I, I feel like that was a bigger indication of what a letdown this season was. Even when you, when you look at this team that beats App State, and then they go on with these three losses where they they were, I think it was 10 points away from being a seven-win team instead of a four-win team, which that would have been bowl eligibility, first bowl game in this program's history, but didn't happen because they just couldn't finish those games in the fourth quarter. They obviously had the talent to beat a team like App State. They had the talent to hang with these other teams. They just they couldn't get it done in the fourth quarter. It really it was it was they get these leads and then it would the play calling would go completely conservative. They just didn't they wanted to manage the game, not lose that lead, and it ended up biting them in the butt when you do lose those leads. Playing when you go through the whole game. Uh, airing the ball out and really going for it, and that gets you the lead, and then you slow it down. It was it's kind of inevitable. This was this was stuff we kind of saw the last couple of years from the SPAV regime. I guess it was even there a little bit in 2020 as well, but just those those fourth quarter letdowns really doomed the Bobcats. But there was a lot of talent that could be shown when the transfer portal popped up, and you have Kyle Hergel going to Boston College, who's a, a right guard for the Bobcats. He had left tackle Dalton Cooper going to Oklahoma State. You have the kicker going to Kansas. All these players are entering the transfer portal and upgrading to a P5. 
that just shows you the talent that was on this team and then to still show up with four wins was was a big disappointment for the Bobcats. Kev, following up that last question, Texas State's been a team that's just been struggling on the road lately. They've been 5-31 and 31 on the road since 2017. This past year, they went 0-6 on the road despite going 4-2 and two at home. Why do you think this team has struggled to win on the road in recent years? Caden, you just, you're doing my job for me. 5-31, and 31, I didn't even know that one. Ah, that's what I'm going to use on my podcast later for sure. Yeah, that's that's not great. Five and thirty-one is is very sobering when you hear that number. Uh, they they've they've been struggling on the road. Uh, they, honestly, they've been struggling at home and on the road. They had a much better season this year at home, but uh, uh, years past, it's been it's been both. It's been the issue. Um, I don't know exactly what the secret ingredient is to fix those road wins. I just think it's I, I think the coaching change is going to be much better for the Bobcats as far as as uh, reaching those road wins and, and getting more consistency with this team. But yeah, it's, that's not great. Five and 31 is wow. That's, that's really uh, putting it on, putting it together and, and looking at that record is, is pretty crazy. Well, we've started on two downer questions. So let's talk about something that I'm sure you're really excited to talk about. And that's GJ Kenny coming to town. Um, you know, it was four seasons under Jake Spavitt, all the, you know, Spav era, as you called it earlier on, but he was hired in December after a highly successful run at FCS R Incarnate Word. Uh, he brings with him just deep ties to the state of Texas. I was reading his background kind of leading up to this interview. Um, and that was important in this coaching search. We had heard that from, uh, you know, the athletic director, the president. Uh, he's also promised to, in his words, and this was your article, to light up the scoreboard. Uh, what is your excitement level about this hire of G.J. Kinney for Texas State? Well, you know, we were, we were just talking about all the, the downer stuff. So I kind of, I have tempered expectations with the Bobcats at all times, but even when I'm trying to temper them and, and not get too ahead of myself, I still get really excited when I, when I look at what Incarnate Word did, number one offense in the nation, whether it's FCS or FBS, uh, it, that uh, fast paced moving offense. And then as soon as he gets here, they, they hit the recruiting trail really hard. Their biggest get is they go get Malik Hornsby, the Arkansas quarterback. He actually visited Nebraska right before he committed and signed with the Bobcats. Turned out they wanted him to play receiver instead of quarterback. Bobcats wanted him to play quarterback. So now they've got this speedster, probably one of the fastest players in college. Uh, and so I, I, I get excited when I think about the offense and the points that are going up. But then I also think back to the Spaver and how excited I was when you have this quarterback guru this guy who'd coached Kyler Murray and all these really good quarterbacks, he's going to come in and he's also going to light up the scoreboard. It didn't happen with Spavadol at all. I mean, especially last season was their, their worst offensive season that he was here. Um, that being said, GJ Kenny, he, he definitely says all the right things. And then he does all the right things as far as recruiting, because they have signed 27 guys already and signing day is not even till Wednesday. They've already got them signed, sealed and delivered. Um, and that's, that's impressive. That's more than they had all of last year. And so I, I see him doing the right thing. So I, I, I get excited about that. I get excited about the potential. Um, I, I think this team is talented as we were talking about earlier at that first question about what went wrong last year with beating App State and then losing those games. This team obviously has talent and they lost a few guys, the transfer portal, but think of 16 jumped in when gj kinney got here and he was able to convince five of them to come back some pretty important players um so i i am i am excited but it's been texas state has been fbs for 10 years now has not reached a bowl game has one winning season in those 10 years and that was way back in 2014 so it's been a long drought for this team so it, it is going to take a lot not just on the field but really mentally with these players overcoming the, the down times that have been here and making them have a, a positive mindset when it comes to, to you know, taking on this new system and, and taking on 2023. But I am excited. I, I love talking to the guy. I think he's, he's uh, really like the cut of his jib. I think he's going to be a, a really successful coach. I mean, he has so far in his career, he's only 34 years old. He's been successful, but you just you hear you hear somebody like him and you just you 
you can see the trajectory of, of success down the road for them. Yeah, it sounds like you have some cautious optimism about it, but it's hard not to get optimistic about this team. I think I'm excited about it, too, when you just look at what the coaching staff has been able to do, definitely working and reshaping that roster, bringing in a talented quarterback, like you mentioned, in Malik Hornsby, along with other Power 5 talent. Talked about them getting some people to stay in the transfer portal. They're bringing 10 freshmen from the state of Texas. Give us some guys that maybe you or the coaching staff are excited about heading into the season. Yeah, you know, I mentioned Hornsby before, but another one is Joshua Eaton. He's an Oklahoma transfer, plays defensive back, uh, highly touted player, four-star guy at a high school. Um, who's another good one? Darius Jackson is a really good one. Mizzou corner transferring in. Uh, I know UTSA, which is Texas State's big non-conference rival because they're just right down the street in San Antonio. They were trying really hard for Darius Jackson, and the Bobcats beat him out for that. So that was kind of a nice little feather in the bobcats cap for them um you know some guys that probably aren't don't have a ton of stars that i'm pretty excited about there's terry webb defensive lineman juco transfer he's got he's a big guy i think he's really going to eat up some space in the middle of the defensive line out there uh and they've got some pretty special receivers i think they've signed four or five so far but one that really stands out to me is drew donnelly he's a transfer from cincinnati uh he has he's been clocked at a four three forty. So, I mean, that's that's some incredible speed. G.J. Kenny, he said it over and over again. He loves speed. When he, his offense, it's a, it's a high-powered, high-tempo offense, and they like to go fast. And so him going out and, and getting a guy like Drew Donnelly and getting Malik Hornsby, who's a really fast player, to play quarterback, he's, it, speed is, is on, on his mind, and he's going out there and looking for guys who can move fast, and so far he has. He even got another speedster, Cole Wilson from Incarnate Word. He was their kick returner. He was G.J. Kinney's kick returner when he was at with the Cardinals, got him to come over to the Bobcats. So uh, lots of lots of speed in this recruiting class, lots of speed and lots of size, too. It seems like those are the two things they were going for. Those are the two things the Bobcats need the most. Yeah, I mean, you certainly hope that that leads to them being successful. Kev, I wanted to ask you, under the previous regime, there had been um, you know, not a lot of recruiting that had been done in the state of Texas at the high school level. There had been a transition to utilizing the transfer portal more. And I know that that was important, uh, for this hire. It feels like there's been some instant dividends. Why is that so important for this team to get back to recruiting some of this Texas high school football talent? Yeah, well, this is, this is a talent rich state. You know, there's, there's a handful of them around the country. Texas, one, Georgia is one. Ohio is one and California, of course, is one. This is a talent rich state and they were getting beat out for a lot of these talented players by some of the, the, I think there's 13 FBS teams in the state of Texas. And so they were getting beat out by a lot of those other ones. And it felt like the other staff, they were just like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to win for those guys. So let's, let's scroll the transfer portal and let's, let's get some guys with experience, get guys that we can come in here. And just somewhat overlooking the Texas landscape of recruiting, not saying that it wasn't important, but it was almost conceding that they couldn't win and get these guys. G.J. Kenny, you know, Spavadol, the last coach, he's from Oklahoma. Um, G.J. Kenny, he's from Texas, he's from Mesquite, Texas. And so that was very important to him. He was a, a great Texas high school quarterback himself, went on to play at Tulsa and a little bit in the NFL. Uh, and so that was that was pretty important to him to to mend the the relationship with these Texas high school coaches. That was that relationship was a little bit frayed when they went for the transfer portal strategy under Spavadol. And so Kenny has come in and, and he's decided that it, it's it gotta gotta build those relationships back up and get that pipeline coming back back here to Texas. I mean even with the transfers they're bringing in, they go get, you know, Josh Eaton, Malik Hornsby, guys who who left the state to go play college at a P5 somewhere. And he says, hey, why don't you come back home and be a star at a school in Texas? Uh, I feel there's a lot of pride in this state. So when you, when, you tell, when you tell people, hey, you can come back to Texas, you can be that is from Texas, you're like, hey, you can come back here and be successful here. It makes Texans' ears perk up. Like, I want to I play ball there. I mean, there's, whether you believe it or not, there's a lot of people here believe it's the best football in the country. Now I've named all those other states, so there's a lot of competitors there, um, and so there's there's a lot of pride in it, and it gets fans invigorated to see Texas people, and uh, I just I think it's a good strategy, you know, and it's it's one that that it's hard to understand if you're from outside of Texas, 
and and you're like, well, what does it matter? Just get the best player available, whether they're from Texas or Idaho or California. Who cares? But it, there's just there's something a little bit different about about building a roster with some Texas guys, especially after four years of them not really trying to do that. Yeah, I love to hear that. I think school pride and even that puts more fans in seats. Uh, and we all know uh, Texans love their football. Uh, Kev, here's your last question. Looking ahead to next season, this team goes on the road to Baylor in 2022 Conference USA champion UTSA in the first two weeks of the year. Then they'll face Nevada before welcoming Deion Sanderless Jackson State in week four. Uh, this team will face both conference title game participants in Coastal Carolina and Troy. Now, with all that in mind, what do you think is a realistic expectation for this first season under DJ Kinney? You know, I was saying it earlier, it's been a long time since they've had a winning record, but uh, it's it's hard for me to quarrel my optimism because I really think this is the year where they get over that hump and they get over that six and six mark and get that get over 500, seven and five, eight and four, I feel like is obtainable when I look at the schedule and I look at their opponents. Um, I think they could they could go three and one in non-conference with that one, obviously being Baylor. UTSA is definitely a tall task for this team. Uh, considering their success and bringing Frank Wilson back and a bunch of guys that they're bringing back. It's pretty good for, for UTSA. But it's a rivalry between Texas State and UTSA. And so far, it's a one-sided rivalry with UTSA 4-0 in the four games they've played football. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of people hungry to, to get that win. So I could see them beating them there. And then, um, you know, looking at like Nevada, that's a team Texas State, barely, oh, not barely, they lost to last year. But G.J. Kenny, when he was coaching Incarnate Word, beat Nevada. That's why I could see them getting another dub right there. Jackson State, you just mentioned it. No Deion Sanders. Uh, you mentioned Coastal Carolina and Troy. I think no Jamie Chadwell for Coastal Carolina. They're going to have a pretty down year. Um, but I, I think I think they'll lose to Troy, though. I think Troy's pretty good. Um, you know, and thinking about the rest of their schedule. I know they'll beat, like, Arkansas State. Um, but there, there's – the Sun Belt is tough. You know, I'll be interested to see how Louisiana is going to do this year, too. They had after a little bit of a down year last year. Um, but I, I really seven and five, eight and four. It's I mean, I'm, I'm literally at eight and four. I'm talking about them doubling their wins. So that's saying a lot. Um, but I really do think that the, the talent they were able to retain and then the talent they were able to gain through the transfer portal and through recruiting it's just it's going to pay a lot of dividends for this team and the fact that Kenny when he came over he was able to bring over a lot of a lot of his coaches on his staff at Incarnate Word it's it's going to be it's not going to be growing pains with the coaching staff it'll be some growing pains with the players but a lot I mean of of the 27 guys they've already signed 16 are four-year college transfers Uh, another handful what is it six are JUCO guys so a lot of those guys can be here in the spring learning that system right away. And I think that'll that'll go a long way for for this team, but I think this is finally the year they get over that hump and get over 6 and 6. Well, we definitely, you know, appreciate the optimism. I think there's a lot of optimistic journalists in the Sun Belt from what we have found as we've gone through these episodes, <laughs> but appreciate that and uh certainly I know Kate and I have both benefited from your coverage of the team and we appreciate you taking some time to jump on the podcast today. Hey, you know, pre-spring football, everyone's really optimistic. Well, well, talk to me again closer to fall camp, and that's when I get less optimistic. I'm like, well, you know, this happened. This guy's hurt. You know, you start to – when you look at a roster full of healthy dudes, you're like, anything's possible. But no, Caden, <laughs> no, I appreciate y'all letting me on. Thank you for me for, for coming on here and talking about Texas State. Hey, that was a lot of fun. Kev has probably, you know, our listeners can't see this, but some of the best hair in the Sun Belt. But he also brought just some great, you know, perspective and some some different ideas. I really enjoyed that. It was kind of a breath of fresh air here towards the end of this series. But Caden, here's another guy who's going to breathe fresh life into this Texas State program. And that's G.J. Kinney. He comes from Incarnate Word. He's going to be the new head coach. And Caden, man, when a coach comes out and says and promises that we're going to light up the scoreboard, that gets my attention. My ears perk up a little bit. 
I'm excited about this Texas State program as we look ahead to 2023. I definitely am too. And I think you talked about it and you made a great comparison to what Georgia Southern did this year. They have the potential to do it there at Texas State as well. I think them changing their branding, changing their style of offense will be huge to them. They're in the state of Texas, rich with talent, rich with athletes. They bring in a very, very athletic quarterback. Could see this team definitely overachieving this year on the offensive side of the ball, but they're going to have to take their lumps. They have a tough non-conference schedule, so we might not see that air raid, them lighting up the scoreboard as much as you'd like to heading into the season. But I think with him at the helm, have to be optimistic going forward, looking at this Texas State offense that hasn't really been as explosive in the last couple of years. Hey, you've said it. I mean, back to that Georgia Southern comp, we've talked about guys want to come play in systems like that. We've seen a lot of guys go to Georgia Southern to play for Brian Ellis, Clay Helton. So maybe we'll start to see that uh, in Texas. Caden Lane Hatcher's gone to Ball State and in steps Malik Hornsby. Uh, you know, Kev told us on this interview, I think it was Nebraska, he said that was actually recruiting Hornsby uh, to be a wide receiver. This is a really big get for G.J. Kinney. And, Caden, you've gone on the record already of saying that this kid might be the most athletic guy the Sun Belt has seen in a while. Definitely. And I'm a huge Lane Hatcher fan. I love watching Lane Hatcher playing close games at home, but he's just not bringing the same athleticism that Malik Hornsby is going to bring to the table. I think it's going to be very interesting to see with this style of offense, if the air raid they're passing the ball well if they're getting players downfield and if they don't even have to really put a design to run game in for Malik Hornsby but they certainly will because they're going to want to use that athleticism not going to compare him to a Todd Santeo quite yet but I'm thinking as far as if he can throw the ball at a high clip and also be that dangerous with his legs he's going to give teams in this conference headaches I think the mobile dual threat aspect of a quarterback has been very successful in this conference and I could very well seeing it be successful in San Marcos this season with Malik Hornsby under center. Hey, you have to imagine Malik Hornsby, he might bring that ceiling of a Todd Santeo, but if that floor is Darren Granger, then this is a really good get uh, for Texas State. Uh, Caden, they were able to keep some key pieces when, you know, Jake Spavadol was initially fired. There was multiple guys, really, it felt like the whole Texas State team that entered the transfer portal. G.J. Kinney went to work, and he kept Lincoln Perry, Ashton Hawkins, and I feel like those two key pieces give them something to build around in addition to Malik Hornsby? I think it's a huge sign. I think when you see people come into the transfer transfer portal, some people are going in there just to see what's out there, maybe see if there's some NIL opportunities for them. So we'll never really know the true motivation of why people were putting their names in there. But them coming back is a huge sign. I think especially when you look at a guy like Lincoln Perry, who is a running back, and this is a coach that's saying he's going to light up the scoreboard and throw the ball live. Lincoln Perry, you might hear that as a running back and be like, okay, well, I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get more touches. He's like, no, I'm going to stay. Maybe you can see him be in that Jalen White role we saw at Georgia Southern where the passing attack is so threatening and all of a sudden, boom, Lincoln Perry's down the middle getting five yards, getting 10 yards, getting big chunk run play. So I think it's a very promising sign that a new head coach was able to come in and keep some of that talent there in, t- in state and in the college. Yeah, suffice to say, I think uh, we're excited about this team, you know, looking ahead to 2023. Obviously, things can change in the offseason. Uh, injuries can happen. So we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on Texas State. Really, last thing on them is it's a big transfer portal class. And Caden, I think it's really going to be important for that group uh, to hit the ground running, but we'll see if they can do that. Well, Caden, let's move on. End of the year awards for Texas State, and I'm going to let you go first again here. Yeah, let's start with the freshmen. I think it's a, one of the more fun awards to look at when you look at the freshmen and the opportunity potential going into the next season. And I think this guy really encapsulates that. So our freshman of the year for Texas State was wide receiver Charles Brown. He had 22 catches this year, which ranked fifth on the team, 295 yards, which ranked third and then three touchdown passes. Smaller frame guy, 170 pounds, does great work in the slot. And I think looking forward into next season, losing some of that talent and having him maybe step up in a role in an offense where they are going to pass the ball more. So very excited to see him going forward off of a good freshman campaign and seeing how DJ Kinney utilizes him next season. Yeah, he'll be a lot of fun. And Caden, I will say next year, we might have to make this an underclassman award because some of these teams, particularly with the transfer portal and other things, you don't see as many freshmen play. I mean, some of these teams, it's been easier, like a Jared Brown at Coastal Carolina, but others, it's been a little bit more challenging. Definitely. I think when you look at the underclassmen and you look at, especially after COVID, there's a lot of different issues with classmen and we don't know how much years of eligibility someone has left, if they're red shirted, if they're gray shirted, there's so many shirts, so much transfer portal confusion. It definitely gets hairy, but let's move on to the defensive MVP. This unit struggled this year, but this is another guy that definitely standed out. And that's Jordan Revels, the linebacker. He had 70 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. There were some players on this team that maybe did better in the pass game, maybe did better in the run stopping game as far as tackles goes. But as far as rangy talent that could do it all, this was the guy. He was pressuring the quarterback, getting in the backfield, hurries, 
getting involved in turnovers. He was just a guy that was all over the place for this team, and they would have been a lot different of a defense if he wasn't out there playing at the high level he was this season. Yeah, I agree with you, and it, it almost gets forgotten because of the record, but Texas State actually had a pretty decent defense this year. I mean, they were one of the better units in the league, and if they had gotten even a little bit more passable performances on offense, this might have been a team that could have gotten to bowl-eligible games because we talked with Cap, and there was a lot of tight games. Well, Kane, let's move on to a guy who really allowed this team to stretch the field at times this year. That's Ashton Hawkins. We told you he's coming back. Led the team with 56 catches, 587 yards, and seven touchdowns, which was tied for fourth in the Sun Belt. He's going to be my offensive MVP. He's a big player to have coming back uh, next season. He definitely is, and he's a similar build like we talked about with the freshman MVP, Charles Brown. Smaller guy, very quick, very fast that I could see taking another step up in his offensive system. He was a huge playmaker for this team, their go-to guy, and definitely the guy that everyone had circled on film as far as, okay, we need to stop this guy, and that kind of opens things up for other guys looking forward. So definitely very excited about him next season as well. Yeah, he could play a big role. You give him a better quarterback, and maybe he turns into one of those Jamari Thrash-type breakout wide receivers uh, heading into next season. Well, Caden, our team MVP, Lincoln Perry, another player that's going to be coming back next year, 772 yards on the ground, five total touchdowns. And also he was one of those kind of rare sunning or sun belt running back threats that caught the ball out of the backfield a decent amount this year, 29 catches, 209 yards and a touchdown. He's my team MVP, and I think he's a player that even has another gear looking ahead to next season. Definitely right about Lincoln. There's a lot of good running backs in this league, and I would still put him up there as far as one of the last guys I wanted to attack, which is as far as how hard he runs the ball, his build. Finished off the season so strong with a 220-yard performance against Louisiana. This dude was a threat, and him hitting the transfer portal probably had some great interest, probably had some other teams looking at him. Him wanting to come back next year and do it again in San Marcos is going to be huge for this team. So I'm looking for him as well. It's funny. We're talking about all these guys who are coming back under a new coach with a lot of excitement, having another great year, maybe taking a step up. And I think him more than anyone might be a beneficiary of this offense that was kind of predictable at running the ball at times and him still still being able to make things work. If they're a little bit more unpredictable as far as passing the ball next year, expect another breakout year out of him for sure. Hey, couldn't agree with you more. And I think the reason we spend time on these teams is because if these types of teams could get better and increase the, you know, the bottom half of the Sun Belt, then you really start to get into that conversation of premier group of five league. Well, that will do it for this loaded episode of the Frarian Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to 96.9, the ticket radio host, Carol Ritchie, as well as the Austin Statements, Kef Chardello for joining us for today's conversation before you go, don't forget, we'll be back with the next episode of the Frary and Smith podcast on Thursday. We're going to wrap up this Sunbelt in review series by focusing on the 2022 seasons for the Old Dominion Monarchs and the ULM Warhawks. That'll do it for us here at the Frary and Smith podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, please like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and the show out. Well, we're going to continue to be here all offseason, keeping you up to date on all the latest happenings from around the Sun Belt. So for Caden Smith, Richmond, and Brett, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.